Hey, welcome to week three of Faith First. We're studying the book of Acts and we are learning how to put God first in our lives. You know, the other day I was watching funny videos with my kids. It's one of our favorite things to do. We watch AFV every week. Check out this video of a guy who is trimming a tree. He thought everything was going as planned. And go ahead, let's take a look at what happens. As you can see, he's like holding on to this branch and he's like, you know, I've got this branch. I've actually done this before with a friend where you think, oh my goodness, right? He thinks he can pull the branch toward him. And apparently he's holding on real hard or he's strapped in, but the branch completely outweighs him. I was watching that with my kids and I literally just started laughing out loud and the way it just picks him up. And isn't that so much what life does to us? Here's what I can tell you about that guy. I have a suspicion that he's not as passionate about tree trimming as he used to be. Why? Well, because of this. Mistakes and mess-ups have a way of stealing our passion. When we mess up, when we have a mistake, it's like pouring water on the fire of our passion. And I don't know about you, but with all the changes in our daily routines and in the world around us, and with my own failures in life, there are times when my mistakes and mess-ups, they just pour water on an area where I once had passion. I wonder, have you ever experienced this in your life? Can you think right now of an area where you were once passionate in a really good way, but whether it was failure or apathy or you've drifted, that healthy passion isn't there anymore. I mean, maybe it's your job. Maybe you used to love doing what you do. But whether it was through mistakes and failures or just the routine, you've lost the passion. Maybe it's your marriage. I mean, you think back to when you were dating that person and you dreamed of marrying that person and there was so much passion. But then there have been fights. There have been mistakes by both parties. There have been difficult things that have been said. And those mess-ups, those mistakes have kind of poured water on the fire of passion. Maybe it's your relationship with God, where you used to be so passionate, but because of failures on your part or drifting or outright mistakes you've made, that passion just isn't what it used to be. I know in my Christian life, I've gone through ups and downs, times where I'm serving others with my gifts and there's so much joy and passion, and then times where I drift away from that. Maybe you used to serve and you used to love serving or you used to be in a small group and you loved it. Maybe even it's a healthy hobby that you used to have. There was just a healthy hobby to be passionate about, but something has come up in life and you've lost that passion. You know, mess ups can often lead us to give up. I remember when I was in elementary school, my three older brothers, they all played basketball. And we had a full, you know, 10-foot height basketball hoop at our house. And I remember I would watch them go all around the three-point key, doing these really long shots. And I was just a little guy. And I remember getting the basketball and, and trying to get it up to even hit the rim. And it would just bounce off the front of the rim. And I remember trying that a few times and then just getting so frustrated that I completely gave up. Mess-ups can lead us to give up, and that can happen with a kid who's learning to swim or ride a bike or shoot a basketball. It can also happen in our marriages. 
can happen in our walk with God. Can you relate to this idea? Is there an area of life where you've given up because you've messed up? Well, I wonder today if I could tell you, if I could tell you how to get back up wherever you feel like you've messed up, would you want to know how? If I could tell you how to get back your passion where life has just doused the passion, would you want to get that passion back, get that joy back? Well, God's going to tell us exactly how to do that in the book of Acts. We've been studying Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We're learning how Jesus unleashed the largest movement in human history. And we've looked at this unbelievable moment where the movement was down to 11 people, 11 very imperfect people, and God used them to ignite what is now the largest movement in the world. Let's pick up on the story in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Here's what we're told. During this time, and if you've been with us on this study, this is right after Jesus said you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit, but wait and gather together and pray. During this time, when about 120 believers were together. So you've got the 12 disciples minus Judas. And then you've got about 111 other people who've gathered here. I guess it's 109 other people if you want to be perfect on your math for 120. Peter stands up and addresses them. Now, if we're not thoughtful, we could skip right over that and just, okay, John, let's get on to the action. What happens in the story? But I want to pause here. Because the reality is, if we're really thinking about who Peter is and the mistakes that he's made in the last two months of his life, we'd hit the rewind button and be like, what? Peter? I mean, God, really, you're, you're going to use Peter. Well, let's take a little tour of some of Peter's failures. Keep in mind, these failures are within the last two months. These have all happened within the last 60 days. Here's the first thing that happens. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he's gathered there with the disciples. And he says, one of you is going to deny me. And you probably know the story. Peter, super passionate guy. Peter says, oh no, Lord, I'll never deny you. I mean, I would die. I would give my life for you. I'll, I'll never fail you. He had so much passion. So much passion, in fact, that then when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword. He cuts off one of the guy's ears. I mean, the guy had passion. But then, not even 24 hours after Peter says, Jesus, I would die for you. He's gathered around a campfire. It's a little bit chilly out. The sun has set. And the whole city has turned against Jesus. People are chanting that Jesus should be killed. And Peter's there at the fire. He's sitting next to a little teenage girl. She's probably about 12 years old. And she says, whoa, I recognize that accent. Are you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter, this time, instead of swearing that he'll never deny Jesus, he starts swearing and cursing and saying, I don't know the guy. Why would you accuse me of knowing Jesus? It's a complete reversal. It's utter failure for Peter. He denies Jesus. And we're told in the Gospels that all the disciples deserted him and fled. I mean, you talk about failure. You talk about a complete reversal where here's a guy who was so passionately for Jesus and now he's passionately against him because of fear. 
Well, we know that after Jesus was crucified and he raised from the dead, he showed himself to Peter. You see, Peter had lost his passion. He'd gone back to fishing. He's like, well, I was a fisherman when Jesus found me. I, I don't know what's next. I guess I go back to fishing. And I've hinted at this story. You can read it for yourself in your life application study Bible, but Jesus shows up to Peter and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. And it's this beautiful moment where Jesus calls Peter back. And maybe right now the Holy Spirit is calling you back. You're watching this and you're relating to Peter and you're thinking, yeah, I used to be so passionate about God and I've, I've really kind of turned away in some ways. Maybe you haven't outright denied him, but you've just lost the passion. And you know what the spirit of God is doing right now? It's not me doing it. It's the spirit of God saying, I love you. I want you back. Do you love me? Then go feed my sheep, serve my people, get back to work. And Jesus restores Peter. Well, then we see here in Acts 1 that imperfect Peter will be who God chooses to use to continue Jesus' work on earth. Imperfect Peter. You know, God picked a passionate failure to continue the work of Jesus on earth. And here's what we're learning today. God picks imperfect people who get back up. God picks imperfect people who get back up. The idea that we get in scripture is that when you mess up and you fall down, that's not failure. Failure is staying down. I love the song. There's a song that says the saints, the holy ones, the perfect ones, the ones we all look up to, they're really just the sinners who fall down and get back up. I don't know where you've fallen down in your life. I don't know where you've lost your passion in life, but just like Peter, Jesus is calling out to you today through his word to say, you know what? I want to use you. I'm a God who chooses and uses imperfect people if you'll choose to get back up. So interesting as you read Acts chapter one, and I'd encourage you to read that whole chapter in your life application study Bible. We see that really the second half of the chapter, what Peter and the other disciples do is they say, we need to find a replacement for Judas. Jesus had picked 12 disciples. Judas had betrayed Jesus. And then Judas, after his failure, he ran away and he ends up actually taking his life. He's in this spiral of shame and guilt. And I have to wonder at this moment, if Judas hadn't done that, if Judas had stuck around and if he had said to the risen Lord, Jesus, I know you could never forgive me, but would you? We know for a fact Jesus would have. Why? Because Jesus forgives us 70 times seven. We can't out -sin his love. We can't outrun his love. Judas was a failure, not merely because of the moment when he sold Jesus, but because he never returned back for forgiveness. What a contrast in Acts chapter one, because yes, Judas had failed, but so had Peter. The difference was that Peter returned. You could put it this way, Judas' moment of failure, why did it define him? It wasn't because of the depth of the failure, it was because he gave up. And I know there's some of you, you're watching this and you're thinking, yeah, John, I know you relate to Peter because you're passionate and you mess up like him, but John, I relate more to Judas. 
John, if you understood how deeply I've failed God, I know he'd never have me back. And I'm here to tell you today, he'll always have you back. The only mistake you can make is to give up. The only mistake you can make is to not return to him. That's why Judas was ultimately a failure is that he wouldn't return back. But Peter, when his moment of failure, yes, he had that moment, but instead of it defining him, it refined him. It refined him because he didn't give up. Instead, he got up. You know, Peter didn't give up. He chose to get up. And even though he'd messed up and slipped up, he picked himself up and he looked up and he believed in Jesus who could clean him up. Then when Jesus showed up to Peter, Peter responded. And we're going to see that Peter then he turns up and he listens up and he gathers with the other believers and they pray up and they get the power of God's spirit. It powers them up. And then Peter's going to step up. And God's going to use a mess up like Peter to take a world that was upside down and turn it right side up. You know, wherever you've lost passion or you've messed up, don't give up today. Get back up. Jesus was waiting for Peter. Jesus is waiting for you. He's just waiting for you to say, I'm coming back. The difference of your life legacy, will you be a Judas or a Peter, is not how perfect you are. It's not how few mistakes you make. It's simply the difference of getting back up, of returning back to Jesus. Now, it's in that context that Jesus is going to use Peter to preach a supernaturally powerful sermon, a sermon that is just filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, it is going to ignite the flame of the church. Ignite the flame that would become this movement, just like Jesus predicted from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And today it's on every continent. It's in every major civilization. And it all starts right here in Acts chapter two, verse 14. Now the context here is that the Holy Spirit has descended. It's called Pentecost. And next week, I'm going to really unpack for you the Holy Spirit in your life. That when you can't, the Spirit of God can. So make sure you don't miss next week. But what has happened here is actually, I love this about the Bible. There's really kind of funny stuff in here. The Holy Spirit comes down and everyone is, is talking in different languages. And the non-believers are watching and they say, are these people drunk? Are these people intoxicated? And Peter stands up to say, no, you know, what you're seeing isn't a bunch of drunk people. What you're seeing is the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of his response to them, the Spirit of God is on Peter and he starts to preach. Peter stepped forward. And then the other 11 apostles, they stepped forward with him. The end of Acts 1, they replaced Judas. They sub a new guy in. And Peter, same guy who was afraid of a teenage girl and ran away, now he steps up. And we know this crowd is thousands of people. This is in Jerusalem. This is only about 60 days since Jesus was crucified. These are the same people who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. This is the very mob that killed Jesus. 
And now the same Peter who had been powerless and weak and afraid, he boldly steps up and he shouts to the crowd. And he shouts to him and he says, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And he's going to go on to explain, here's what's happening with the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, here's what's happening with Jesus. Peter continues and he says, Jesus was handed over to all of you by God's plan and foreknowledge. And then Peter's going to say, all of you people who think you're so perfect and you're so religious and you're all waiting for the Messiah, well, guess what? God sent you the Messiah and you all killed him. That's exactly what he says. He says, you, with the help of wicked men, put him, Jesus, to death by nailing him on the cross. I mean, get the context of this here. Peter's talking to the very people who killed Jesus out of anger and rage, this kind of religiously instigated rage. And now Peter, in the exact same context, says, look what you did. You killed the very Messiah that you were looking for. It's a beautiful sermon if you read all of Acts 2 in your Bible. It continues, and Peter says this in verse 38. He says, repent. In other words, admit what you've done. Admit your mistake. Admit that you've sinned against God. Repent and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Every one of you, Peter says to these thousands of people, Repent and believe in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I mean, what an offensive thing to say. Think about the level of confidence that didn't come from Peter's personality, but from the Holy Spirit within him. And then he's going to say this, with many other words, he warned them and he pleads with them. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt or wicked, this crooked generation. I mean, this is like standing up in front of a nation and saying, you're all wicked, you're all corrupt, you're all crooked, and you all need to turn to Jesus. This could have gotten Peter killed. In fact, later on, it will get him and many of the other preachers of Jesus killed. But the Holy Spirit is working in this moment. And it tells us in Acts 2, verse 41, that those who believed what Peter said, were baptized. Baptism is such a beautiful picture. When we go under the water, we die to our old life and we are raised through the power of Jesus' work on the cross, not through our own good deeds. We're raised into a newness of life. And that day, God added to the church 3,000 people, 3,000 new believers. God takes Peter this really imperfect, passionate guy. And he now uses him because he returned to Christ to lead 3,000 people to the Lord. You know, the other day I was watching the video with my kids and I won't show you guys the whole video, but I've got a picture of it here on the left. This is a guy who was grilling and a black bear shows up and a black bear starts to take the food off the grill. And this guy's so passionate about his steak He starts to throw things at it and he starts to like duel with the bear over the steak. Please do not do this at home, okay? I'm not not suggesting that you do this. But here's the thing. I'd been studying Peter and how he was imperfect but passionate. And when I saw this video of this guy who was just so passionate, 
it reminded me of Peter. Peter had that kind of passion. And you know, I think if we're not careful, we can tend to think that God wants us all to look like, you know, perfectly holy. We don't have any mistakes in our lives. But here's the thing. We have the record of who Jesus picked. And by the way, there were a lot of people who looked like this when Jesus lived. They were called the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the priests. I mean, there were different groups of these people and they had religious garb and they sure looked perfect on the outside. But Jesus picked fishermen. He picked a tax collector. He picked a doctor. He picked, he picked normal people who knew that they weren't perfect, but who were passionate about God. You see, in Peter, here's what we learned. The miracle work of Jesus hasn't ended. The miracle work of Jesus didn't stop when he ascended to heaven. No, it continues. It continued through imperfect Peter, and it continues today through imperfect people just like me and imperfect people just like you as long as we don't give up. As long as we choose to put faith first, we will see God continue to do miracles in us, changing our habits, changing our desires, in our families, and we'll see God do miracles through us, just like he did for Peter. Well, here's a question I wanna ask you. I wonder, have you been letting a false version of perfect snuff out your passion? Maybe it's in your marriage. You've thought, man, you know, if my, if my spouse was just a little bit more perfect, then I could get along with them. Guess what? You married a sinner and you are a sinner. You need the grace of God in your marriage. Maybe it's your walk with God. I mean, maybe you've missed some weeks of church or you missed serving or you've kind of fallen out of the habit of reading God's word or you've fallen out of your small group and you just thought, you know, I'm not perfect at this and your, your false version of perfect has snuffed out your passion. I'm guessing that right now as we're going through this, the spirit of God is identifying areas in your life where you wanna have that passion back. And maybe right now you're realizing, I guess I've lost that passion. And maybe it's because I fell for this false idea of perfect. Jesus didn't pick the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priests. He loved them, but he was waiting for them to admit that they weren't perfect. For whatever reason, Jesus picked these 12 guys who were right up front and saying, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm following someone who is. I'm not perfect, but I'm following someone who is. You see, the passion that God wants from you, it's more than a feeling, it's a commitment. When we think of the passion that Peter had, we, we see that word passion, it's easy to think, oh, that's a feeling. So when I'm really feeling excited about God, I'm passionate. And when I'm not feeling excited, I'm not passionate. No, passion is commitment. A passionate athlete wakes up at 5 a.m. to train in the rain and in the cold, whether or not they feel like it, because they're passionate about it. Passion is all about commitment. And what God's looking for as he wants to reignite our passion is commitment. You know, Peter had messed up, but then he showed up believing that God was bigger than his past mistakes. I think that's really what defines Peter's passion is just his view of God was so big. And so, yes, his mistakes were real, 
but he saw that God was so much bigger than his mistakes. And maybe in your life, you need to be reminded, yeah, your mistakes are real. They might have consequences, but guess what? God's way bigger than your mistakes. And by the way, the mistakes of the people you love and live with, God's bigger than their mistakes too. You know, I'm talking to someone right now. You've been harboring resentment. You've been harboring unforgiveness in your heart because you have magnified the mistakes of someone who's hurt you. And I'm not saying, I'm not diminishing those mistakes. I'm not diminishing the pain that person has caused you, but here's what I am doing. I am magnifying that God is bigger than that. God's bigger than those mistakes. And you know, when you harbor resentment about another person's mistakes, you're gonna find your own passion gets snuffed out. Whether it's your own mistakes or someone else's, if you focus on those mistakes, God starts to look really small. But Peter, for all his track record of flaws, he never forgot that God is bigger. Peter showed up believing that God was bigger than his mistakes, believing that God was bigger than his past, and believing that God was bigger than his limitations. I wonder for you today, where do you need to believe God's bigger than your mistakes, he's bigger than your past, and he's bigger than your limitations. God wants this commitment from you. I want to read you just a little bit of a very lengthy letter I got from a family in our church. The gist of the letter is that for 17 years, they have wandered in and out of this church. They've had seasons where they were kind of passionate about God and seasons where they drifted away. And then here's what this family says, and I want to keep them anonymous, but they said that on May 17th of 2019, they came back here. So this was about a year ago, last summer. They said, we're going we're gonna to go all in with God. We're going to demonstrate our passion for God, not as an emotion, but as a commitment. And here's how they committed they said, after 19 years of marriage, we're going to take the financial peace course and actually get our finances in order. By the way, if you text the word first, you can check financial coaching and you can take the same course. Well, they got their finances in order. They started tithing for the first time. And soon after they started tithing, they received an inheritance. The inheritance allowed them to pay off all their debt Right? Because of financial peace, they were starting to pay it off. And this is how God works. He waits for you to show your faith in action, and then he shows up. They get this inheritance. They pay off all their debt. They are able to change their careers. The couple starts doing a Bible study together. Then they join a small group. And here's the point of their letter to me, is that in this time of COVID, they've even had relatives who've had COVID but they're saying they have experienced God like never before. They say that their small group meets by Zoom every Sunday night and that they're faithfully part of their small group. And here's part of what they said. During some of the last few weeks, we have grown like never before. And while it may look like some of the worst times in the world, the pandemic, for our family, there has been great growth. Yes, there's been strife and conflict, but it amazes me how God is growing us toward him because we made him our focus. My point is this, that family's not perfect. I'm not perfect. There's thousands of us in this church who aren't perfect, but just like they've experienced, 
If you will express your passion to God by a commitment, you will see him work in your life. You know, it's a lot like learning how to ride a bike. Here's a picture of my youngest learning how to ride a bike. My older two have their training wheels off and Evie's just about to get her training wheels off. And I know what's gonna happen right after I take them off because we've done a lot of bike rides together around the neighborhood. She'll have one or two times where she will fall down. And I've seen it with my oldest too. They have to then get back up. They have to get back on the bike. And if they will, they'll learn how to ride it and they'll have a whole lifetime of riding a bike. This is so much like your spiritual walk. And I don't know if you've tipped over somewhere. I don't know if you've just lost your passion but God brought you here today to say, make your faith in him a commitment. Make it a commitment. And here's what we do as a church. We're here in this time to help you. In fact, we've put together some spiritual training wheels for you. And the way you get this is you text the word first. Now, if you're wondering what this is, are we gonna ask you for money? No, we're not gonna ask you for money. Uh, we're not gonna ask you to donate any organs or anything. What this is, this is the next level of our digital ministry, and it is spiritual training wheels to help you one day at a time and one week at a time choose to get back up and put God first in your life. Um, this will unveil shortly after Labor Day in September, but I wanna encourage you to sign up right now I also want to encourage you to sign up because when you do, you can check a number of boxes for a men's group, for a finance group, uh, for a divorce care group. If you're looking to serve, if God's speaking to you and you're saying, yeah, I need to commit to God again, then just text that word first. You'll have so many options today, but you'll continue to get options. Our team's working really hard on this to keep the church, to keep you more connected than ever, even if you're not comfortable coming into the building. Well, here's a question. What was the last risk that you took for the work of God? Or the last risk that you took to experience God in your life? If you were with us back in May, you saw the story of Al Unser Jr. And Al was so honest with us about the struggles he's had in his life, and he was honest with us about how he came to know Christ here at Connection Point and how God has been transforming him. Well, I was so privileged this last week to get to baptize Al Unser Jr. And it was so fun to have a group of men who are discipling him and walking with him and to see them gather around him and pray over him. You know what he's doing? He's taking his next step of faith. And I don't know exactly what your next step of faith is today, but here's what I've learned. God feels distant and fake when I stop taking risks and steps of faith. If you're watching this and you're like, yeah, John, that part about losing my passion, that's me. Well, I'm here to tell you, God will always feel distant or even start to feel fake if you stop taking risks for him and if you stop taking steps of faith. But here's where I want to inspire you. The exact opposite is true. You take your next step of faith today. You take your next, next risk for the kingdom of God and God starts to feel more near and you start to realize his presence. You know, I mentioned earlier that the book of Acts teaches us that Jesus' miracle ministry has not ceased or stopped. 
Jesus' miracle ministry continued through imperfect Peter. It has continued through churches all around the world. It has continued in this specific church for more than 180 years. And I want to inspire you with the true story of a man in our church family who has faithfully served Christ for 30 years. Now, I don't think I've done anything for 30 years other than breathe. I can't imagine 30 years of faithfulness. The amount of times that it had to feel like the passion was gone. Or the amount of times that it felt like, ah, oh, I didn't do that quite right. Should I keep trying? And Dave Wollenhouse is a picture of faithfulness. And here's what I love about celebrating Dave Wollenhouse's faithfulness today. You know, Peter was imperfect, but he stood up and powered by the Spirit of God, he preached. And that day, 3,000 people trusted in Jesus. Well, as Dave Wollenhouse has faithfully ministered by the Spirit of God, we know that more than 3,000 young people, children, have placed their faith in Jesus and are now adults serving him all across central Indiana, all across the world, some even as missionaries. Here's what God can do through you if you'll make your faith in God consistent, regardless of how you feel. Let's take a look. My name is Lydia Darlington and I'm Mr. Dave's youngest daughter. One lesson that my dad taught me that I've carried through my whole life is to be consistent and have integrity. Growing up, the lessons my dad taught from the stage were always practiced at home and his fun spirit and patient attitude that you all know so well was always reflected in the way he treated his family and fathered his daughters. As I think about my time with you, I think of Camp Allendale comes first to mind. Uh, the all-nighters that we used to have at the old church upstairs, and uh, the movie nights, just watching movies late into the evening, that was a lot of fun. Hi, I'm Astaire, Dave's oldest daughter. My dad has taught me what it means to be a servant. He will always go down to the trenches with others and will always be the first one to step up and do the right thing, no matter how big or how small. He also taught me how to make big cannonballs into the swimming pool. And I'm sure all of the camp kids and counselors know exactly what I'm talking about. Hey Dave, thanks for creating a foundation for my love of God and love of people and just exhibiting that in your faith as well and contributing to my children's foundation of their faith. Hi Dave. Hi Dave. Wanted to thank you for your 30 years of service and one of the ways you impacted me was through showing us that we can serve in big and small ways. And one way that you impacted me was this idea that as a teacher of students the, to make the Bible fun and engaging. And so that's one thing that we hope to take to the Balkans with us, um, making the Bible fun and engaging for kids. So thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Hannah and I am Mr. Dave's middle daughter. And I think that anybody who knows my dad would describe him as a man of very few words. And so one of the many things that I learned from my dad is how to be slow to speak and quick to listen, how to listen very intentionally to others and to the word of God and how to be very wise and gracious with your words. Hi everyone, I'm Kennedy Krause. I'm the elementary small groups director here at Connection Point on our Kids City team. I had the privilege and honor of being Dave's camper um, many moons ago, but also then evolved into his intern here on the Kids City team and now have been a part of his team for four years and have so enjoyed the opportunity to learn alongside of him and have the opportunity to be taught by him what it means to be in ministry. 
Hi, my name is Angelica Powell and my husband and I and our three boys have been attending Connection Point for a little over two years now. And during our time here at Connection Point and serving in Kids City, we have met such wonderful individuals and one of those individuals are you, Dave. We thank you so much for everything you have done for our family from baptizing Alex to just staying in connection with our boys each and every week when we come on campus there. And we're forever grateful and we pray for many more years. Dave, because of you, uh, we settled in as a family to Connection Point. When we came to visit first time and saw the children's ministry and the foundation that you had laid then and continue to, to lead now, it was just a, an obvious place that we wanted to raise our family. Yeah, when we ask our kids um, about Dave Bowen House, their response overwhelmingly was Camp Allendale. And though you do a lot behind the scenes that our kids don't get to see, they get to see you in person there. And you show how to live faith um, and make it fun. And that's made an amazing impact in our kids' lives. Um, you baptized me in 96 or 97. And um, as I think about today, I uh, think it's really neat that I still see you roaming the halls and you minister to my two children um, under your leadership there at church. So uh, congratulations on 30 years. Love you, Dad. Thank you so much, Dave. We love you, Dave. Love you, Daddy-o. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Well, huge congratulations to Dave Wallenhouse. He was 26 years old when he took over a children's ministry of 50 kids, and now we serve between 1,000 and 1,500 kids on most weekends. Dave has had a lifetime of impact, and I want you to know it's not ending. Dave's not retiring. We just want to celebrate those 30 years, and I want to take it as a moment to ask you to think about your legacy in life and to remind you that the legacy is not about never making a mistake. It's about always returning to God. Here's my final call for you today. Leave your perfect at the door. Stop trying to be perfect. Let go of the idea of being perfect. Instead, do just what Peter did and preach. Repent whenever you make a mistake. Believe that God so loved the world, he sent his only son, and he can forgive our mistakes time and again, and then choose passion for God again. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I pray over every brother and sister watching this, Lord, that where we've made mistakes or where we're lacking passion, that just like Peter, we would return to you. That just like Peter, we would experience your power to wash away our mistakes through your work on the cross, to fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for every single person right now who's lacking passion in their life or whose mistakes are defining them. I pray that just like Peter, they'll choose to get back up, to call back out to Jesus. Lord, we just keep reaching out for your hand. And I pray this week that you'll make us more like Peter that we'll recover our passion for you. And Lord, when we don't feel the passion, that we will be consistent in action, just like Dave Wollenhouse and so many believers in this congregation have modeled for us for years and years. Lord, we praise you that your miracle ministry did not finish when you ascended to heaven, but that you continue doing miracles right now through all of us who will come to you like Peter and say, here am I, Lord, work in me, send me, shape me, and use me. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.